0: Thank you, everybody, for tuning in to another episode of Nightmare on Sedgwick Avenue podcast. I'm your host, 7 Octobers. Uh, Today, I have a really dope special guest I've been trying to get on. Uh, She goes by Cinebeth, uh, but her name is Beth Um, Acamondo. Hopefully, a bunch of her last name, but she's a film critic, art and culture reporter for KPBS, She's part of the Film Geeks of SD uh, for the Digital Gym, uh, and she also has a haunted house that she uh, throws every year. So we'll discuss that in a little bit. But without further ado, let me bring her on the screen here. Hello, Beth.
1: Hey, how you doing?
0: Good. Thank you for for your ta- taking the time again to meet with me and you know get to know you a little bit better. Sure. Uh, so I kind of obviously give like a brief intro, but if you don't mind, just kind of like a little bit introducing a little bit yourself and how you know, you got into like uh, being a film critic and all that.
1: Sure. So um I went to film school at UCSD. And the first summer I was there, I found out that they needed a film critic at the college newspaper. And what better thing to do than to get to go to movies free yeah. and write about them. So I hopped on that and started writing for the Guardian newspaper. And then... I moved on to the La Jolla Light newspaper and actually got a paying gig. Not much money, but it did pay. Yeah. And then from there, I went on to uh, KPBS and started doing radio reviews for films. And so that's how I ended up getting into Public radio, which has been great. It's given me opportunities to review films, interview amazing people, start a podcast, my Cinema Junkie podcast, and all of this basically stems from the fact that my dad loved movies, and so he took me to movies from the time I was little, (laughs) traumatized me with quite a few of them, but (laughs) basically, I you know I fell in love with movies because of him, and with monsters like King Kong and. the Creature from the Back Lagoon and things like that. So he's the one who gave me my love for film. Okay. And uh, so that's how I got into that. And then I've, you know, I've always kind of embraced horror mm-hmm. and enjoyed the darkness. I remember when I was little, I used to sit in the corner by my dad's office and he had a 26 volume crime encyclopedia that oh. I would just pour over because <laughs> somewhere in my young brain, I thought that if I could see like the scariest things I would somehow be better prepared for the real world and anything scary in it.
0: So. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty cool. What, what was the first film? Do you think that like, kind of uh, grew your love for film, you think?
1: Um, I think the one that, that made me fall in love with movies was probably a combination of King Kong and Adventures of Robin Hood. So King Kong was, you know, I fell in love with the monster. It's, I don't cry often at movies, but I will cry every time I see King Kong die. Um, And then my dad took us to see uh, The Adventures of Robin Hood at this theater that was called the Cinema Leo on Garnett. And this would have probably been in the 70s and you would lie down and watch the movies and the screen went from like floor to ceiling and side to side and they only showed old movies. And up until that point, now that was, I'm old. So it's like pre VHS and DVD and so, The only way you could see a movie was, you know, in some sort of a screening venue. And so that was like my first introduction to a lot of films outside of watching them on television. And I just remember Adventures of Robin Hood and falling in love with Errol Flynn and just thinking like that was the most (laughs) magical, adventuresome movie I had seen. And of course, the Marx Brothers, too. That's, you know.
0: That's pretty cool. I feel like I wish we had that like old school theaters, kind of like we had the one, the I think it was Ken Cinema or whatever, the one with yeah. like Adams. Like I miss that. that yeah, <laughs> we all do. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then I did mention uh, that you're part of like the film geeks. Mm -hmm. SD. um, How did that come about? And like, if you want to kind of talk a little bit of what it is for those who might not know.
1: Sure. So um, my friend and I, Miguel Rodriguez used to run Horrible Imagining or still runs Horrible Imagining's film festival. And we went to the TCM film festival. And we so enjoyed that experience of watching movies we loved on a big screen. And it wasn't You know, TCM shows old movies, so there's no surprise in the sense of it's not a known quantity. You know, you go to a film Mm -hmm. festival where it's all new films and they could all be terrible. (laughs) Um, But TCM, it was all great. And so we had so much fun watching those movies on a a big screen. And we had the Digital Gym Cinema had recently come into being, which is run by the Media Arts Center and Ethan Vontilo. And we thought, like, hey, could we program movies here and and just, like, anything we wanted? And so our first year we did all, I think it was 41, no, 30, I think it was 41 movies or 31 movies. It's either 41 movies and 31 monsters or 31 movies and 41 monsters. I forget what it was.
0: Yeah. But we
1: screened all the universal horror films. Oh, wow. And, um It was just something we, Miguel and I loved showing movies and we loved sharing them with people and, you know, watching people watch movies for the first time is always fun. You know, we had uh, one of our friends used to bring his son to the Universal Horror Films and it was the first time he was seeing Frankenstein and the Creature from the Black Lagoon and the Wolfman. And so it was fun to watch that kind of happen. And then the thing that I love to do is create like themed food and like party favors to go with all the screenings. So, you know, I was thinking of (laughs) what, what could I serve with each of those universal horror movies to make that a more fun experience for people to come see. So that's, that's how Film Geek started was just this sense of, we want to share movies with people and expose them to films that maybe they wouldn't be seeing otherwise. So we do, Pandemic threw everything into a frenzy, but uh, up until then, we were doing a year-long film series every year at Digital Gym Cinema, and then we would do some one-off things, um, you know, like Horrible Christmas or a James Bond celebration or um, like birthday fundraisers and just stuff that we wanted to show for no other reason than we thought they were great films.
0: Yeah, (laughs) that's pretty cool. Um and you just had an event like you have what's called the Secret Morgan that's kind mm-hmm. of a little bit part of like the film geeks right that you guys kind yep. of organize that. Um it was really cool. I actually got to go to the when animals attack was the theme for that <laughs> one. <laughs> um it was pretty cool too the people that were like uh dressed up in yeah. in and all that stuff but uh what is like your goal with those events and like anything upcoming that you can share?
1: Sure. So a secret morgue came up because we a group of my friends and I would go up to the new Bev for their horror marathon, usually in September or October. And those tickets sell as fast as Comic Con tickets where like you have to be on there and you got like 30 seconds to (laughs) put your tickets in and get them. And we thought, well, maybe we could do something similar down here and not have the stress of having to like buy those tickets. So instead we have the stress of putting on an event, but basically we want to put on like a horror marathon of four to six films. And then we theme them around something. And then we decorate the comic-con museum to match the theme. Like this was animals attack. So we had a six foot grizzly cutout you could pose with. We had, the little jungle gym from the birds with the birds flocking in. And um, we had Christopher Olson does these great makeup effects that are themed to whatever the films are. And so our goal with that is just to offer something unique in San Diego. We love horror. So something horror themed like that. Yeah. To use venues that aren't being used all the time. So Comic-Con museum, you know, 365 days a year, it's a regular museum, but the, Theater itself doesn't get used all that often. So it was just nice to be able to do something in that venue and put that to use and bring people into the museum and have them kind of experience that. But it's basically just sharing stuff. And so right now, since we are we haven't had a full year out of the pandemic yet, this was kind of our first year of getting back to doing in-person events. So we're starting to plan next year's year-long series. We're planning a uh, one of our the film geeks is uh, Matt Rotman, who runs Bonkers Ass Cinema, and he just wrote a book, Bonkers Ass Cinema. So we're going to have a bonkers ass Christmas party and that's coming up. And then uh, another one of my friends who's a neuroscientist and DJ wants to do show Videodrome and do the new flesh rave party. So that's coming (laughs) probably in April of next year. Uh, We'd also like to plan some sort of a James Bond marathon coming up. And what else do we have coming? Um, Yeah, I think the theme for next year, we're going to do like a year of action and we'll break it up into quarters. And it might be like 80s action and then Hong Kong action and then like old school Hollywood action, things like Crimson Pirate or the Dirty Dozen or something like that. And then uh, maybe Ozploitation action. So um, that's kind of what we have in the works right now. We also, um, I'm trying to work with uh, a couple of people who are with the Film Noir Foundation, uh, Eddie Muller who runs Noir Alley on TCM, Uh, He has a couple of films, um, El Vampiro Negro and The Beast Within, which are these Argentine film noir. And we'd like to try and get him to host them down here. And then Alan Rohde wrote this book on director Michael Curtiz, who only did three horror films in his career. But he Mm -hmm. did these two strip technicolor and they're just amazing. It's like two strip technicolor gives you kind of like an orange and green hue. Mm -hmm. And he did, I think it was Dr. X and I can't remember the titles right now, but they're just kind of hypnotic and just (laughs) fun. And the set design is amazing. And uh, so we're going to have him come down and host that, talk about the director, talk about the films. And so those are just some of the, a few of the crazy projects that we have in mind.
0: Yeah, that's pretty, that's pretty cool. I like seeing that here in San Diego because a lot of it, like you said, some of it is like up north, you know, in LA or Mm -hmm. Orange County. So it's, it's nice to see that here. Um, and obviously like you, you consider yourself a cinema, uh, geek or junkie for you. What does like the term like cinemaphile mean to you?
1: Oh, you know, I think to me, it means somebody who just kind of on a certain level needs to live and breathe film. And Mm -hmm. it's something that you just have to have you know i mean there are people who are voracious readers and yeah you know people who have to go out on hikes whatever but you know for (laughs) me like i love film and i feel like that you can always find an entry point to any topic or any issue you know i work at kpbs and a lot Mm -hmm. of times i know like during the pandemic uh you know issues came up about black lives matter and uh other things and i said you know film offers entry points into almost any topic you can find, yeah. whether it's about Black Lives Matter or about, you know, a politician you feel is corrupt or about, you know, contagion and disease or how do we react when social structure falls down? Like all that stuff is in movies and movies are in easy and accessible thing. You know, people are put off sometimes by reading a book or by, you know, reading a newspaper or things like that. But almost everybody is willing to like, go watch a movie. And so I feel like it's an easy way to kind of get people to maybe participate in a conversation if you break the ice with a movie. And it's something that's entertaining, but maybe it'll raise issues. If it's a comedy, maybe they'll let their guard down and and let some ideas in if it's horror you know maybe you'll just be able to you know jolt people or get people out of their comfort zone and that's fun so yeah it's just for me a cinephile is somebody who just loves and appreciates movies I don't feel like it's something that is a snobbish thing at least not for me (laughs) um you know uh I, I interviewed my friend Matt for to talk about his book Bonkers Ass Cinema, and one mm-hmm. of the things he brought brought up that's very important to him and his whole kind of ethos is this idea that you don't want to be watching films ironically from some sort of like smug position of I'm better that's than true. that film. Mm-hmm. So you know, to me, it's just like I go into every movie and I just want to be awed in some way. I mean, the worst thing a film can do is be bland. Yeah, um, you know, if a film is Cheaply made or doesn't have a budget, but it's made with passion. I love those films, like, yeah. and I don't love them as guilty pleasures, and I don't love them as something I look down on. I mean, I look at them and just really feel like, wow, I just appreciate the fact that these people have to go out and make a movie, no matter what. Exactly. I mean, we just watched. We just watched uh, my friends and I. We just watched um, a Fantastic Fest at home. A Ugandan, it's supposed to be the first action film from Uganda. Uh-huh. And they must have had $10 to make that film. <laughs> and the CGI is terrible. And the opening scene of the film, they show this horrible CGI. And then they show like a green screen painted on some village hut or something that they were shooting at. And you know, the only thing I can think of is like, geez, man, they wanted to make a film so badly that <laughs> they figured out how to do this with nothing. Yeah. And they look like they're having fun making it. And like that's that was so much more fun than watching some big budget Hollywood film that was made just to cash in on, you know, a franchise or on something else. And yeah that was made without any like real passion or love or uh, you know, or even like without a sense of that difficulty of how do you actually make the film when you have
0: yeah, nothing. <laughs> <laughs> no, I agree. Like, cause I was thinking about that the other day too. Like, where it's like, it's so harsh nowadays. I mean, I don't know if it's maybe nowadays cause social media and everything, but like people are quick to like, Talk bad about a movie. And I'm, um, and I, I had the same thought. I'm like, well, at least these people took the time to go and do this movie. Not everybody is able to do that. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? Like, on people, like, you know, jumping the gun and like judging a movie, like, if, even if it just literally, they just saw it like an hour ago. What are your
1: thoughts? Well, that? The, the main thing that, that I, I have issues with, with social media is, that we seem to have come to a point where people have such a hard time tolerating differences of opinion. So like as a film critic, like my opinion is no different than anyone else's. I may have seen more movies or know more about filmmaking to maybe put a film into a context or maybe explain why I like or don't like a film. Mm -hmm. But basically liking a movie is like liking food you know, I will never eat pineapple on pizza. You can tell me all you want, how good it tastes to you or like what the nutritional value is. But bottom line is my taste buds just don't like it. Yeah. And I can't tell you you're right or you're wrong for liking or not liking, you know, pineapple on pizza. So the thing that I have a hard time with is Different opinions are fun. Like it's yeah. fun to not necessarily agree on a film, but to discuss it without necessarily calling the other person an idiot.
0: Yeah.
1: Or without feeling like the other person's opinion somehow negates your own. That's you right. know, I mean, yeah. I have a <laughs> supreme dislike for Forrest Gump. <laughs> and every now and then I post something about that, and people are shocked. They go, like, how can you hate Forrest Gump? Millions of people love it. It won Oscars. Like, And I go, like, it doesn't matter. I just don't like it. And then they go, like, well, you know, and they want, like, they insist you have to like it because millions of people like it. Or you, like, if you don't like it, then you're saying I have bad taste. And it's like, mm-hmm. no, I'm, like, I'm just saying I don't like this film. Yeah. We can discuss it, like. You can try to change my opinion, but, you know, I'll, I'll counter with, like, if you tell me whatever, Tom Hanks is a great actor and I'll tell you, well, you know what, for me, it's like he's trying so hard to be ingratiating that it turns me off. And the film is like so. So, you know, I mean, I don't mind having a discussion about it, but this yeah. idea that I'll never read another one of your reviews because how yeah. can you possibly hate that film or. You know, you're the worst. You're an idiot if you. Yeah, that's not grounds for discussion. So that's that's the part of social media that I dislike. Like, if you want to come yeah. out of a movie and bash it right away, <laughs> that's fine. But like, have a reason for it. Don't just yeah. say, you know, oh that's a piece of shit. Um, <laughs> say like, hey, you know, this film is loaded with tropes or like there was nothing fresh or original in it. Or, yeah, you know, this was great or this was, you know the script sucked, but man, that actor nailed it or whatever. But talk mm-hmm. about the film. Like, yeah. that's what I want to hear is like, talk about the film and not about, you know, criticizing the people who like it for being stupid or the, or, you know, just like, I know that sometimes I'm expected because I'm a female critic. Mm-hmm. You know, I've been, I was told, I remember when the the female Ghostbusters came out, they go, you have to like that film. And I said, why and they go well women made it and it's all women (laughs) characters and I said but it's really bad (laughs) I'm sorry you know I'm not going to just like it because and so I I, that kind of stuff is annoying too like you know I don't want to have to be pre-sold a film as like well you have to like this because you're Asian and you got to like crazy rich Asians because it made a lot of money and
0: yeah,
1: it's like I was like, no, I mean, as an Asian, I'm embarrassed that we had to make a dumb rom-com like,
0: <laughs>
1: like don't do this to me. So, um, yeah, I mean, I that's the thing about like social media that bothers me. I mean, everybody's entitled to their opinion, exactly. but we yeah. shouldn't be bashing other people or canceling other people or, you know, saying boycott that film because it's not exactly the kind of film i like or whatever but
0: yeah i, I agree yeah and i think somebody t- said that it's like because i have like this uh horror like group that i joined like on mm-hmm. facebook and people talk about movies and then obviously people agree disagree on the movie and one of the persons like i think it's so funny how people are pissed or mad <laughs> that someone doesn't like a movie like if they didn't like it it's just th- that's not their taste you know um so yeah i completely agree with that um and what made you like fall in love with like the horror genre specifically? I know you mentioned King Kong, but what what do you love about that genre?
1: Um, I think I like it because on a certain level, it's sort of subversive. Um, it's always been a little bit disrespected. Um, yeah. you know, people always talk about directors who are in horror as like, oh, they did horror and then they moved on, or you know, <laughs> uh, it there's a certain condescension that comes with it. And, but I think they're films that tend to break rules and tend to push boundaries. And, you know, I mean, there's bad horror films too, but I think at their best, that's what they do. They tend to be kind of rebellious, kind of subversive, kind of pushing us out of our comfort zone. And like I said, I mean, one of the things about horror that I love is that, it's that sense that you want to kind of confront your fears and confront the darkness. Yeah. And, you know, on a certain level, your brain knows that you're in a safe environment. You know, you're in a movie theater, a darkened theater with a bunch of strangers and you're watching something scary and you may jump or it may scare you. But deep down, you know that, you know, you're in a safe spot. And so the ability to kind of go someplace dark without really having. To, to, do it, yeah. to do it in a dangerous way. Yeah. I mean, I went to an extreme haunt and I got the sissy tour, but you know, like there were <laughs> points where I'm going, like, I hope my cameraman got the license plate of this car because I'm just not quite sure what this guy's gonna do. <laughs> you know? But um, yeah, I think it's it's confronting that darkness, and just you know, as a kid, I got scared at movies when I was little. I mean, my parents took me to some films that were really inappropriate. I remember seeing um, Terrence Stamp in this film called The Collector, where he would kidnap women and lock them up in this room mm-hmm. and frequent and they would die sometimes. And then you just go back out on the street and get another one. And there's no punishment, no sense of justice. So for a six year old, that's a scary world. Yeah. You know? <laughs> and so that gave me nightmares. And so I think part of my part of me was like, I don't want to be that scared again so i'm gonna try and watch stuff that's scary to get tougher or to figure out like what it is that scares me so that maybe i won't get scared um so yeah it's kind of you know with a little bit of a chip on the shoulder kind of like oh you scared me well i'm gonna see if i can toughen up and and watch more of those
0: And what do you think, like, for you, what does, like, fear mean to you? And why do you think we, we enjoy being scared, like, for uh, those that, you know, love horror films? I mean, I do
1: think you get that kind of adrenaline rush. And, again, it's that adrenaline rush within a sort of safe environment. You know, yeah. for those of us who don't want to go bungee jumping or, you know, don't want to skydive and, you know, get adrenaline rushes that way, <laughs> you know, you can go to a movie and have a fun scare with that and sometimes you know it's more than fun sometimes you know it disturbs you in a way um yeah it's just I you know it's hard to explain what that is that that like how it functions on your brain to Mm -hmm. make you kind of enjoy that and you know there are people who can't do it you know they really can't go see a horror film it really disturbs them yeah deeply Uh, to a point that, you know, they don't enjoy it. But I enjoy the craft of it, too. Um, And the different ways, you know, the different kind of sub-genres you get in horror. I mean, we recently just screened this Danish film, Speak No Evil. And I fell in love with it because it was so well-crafted. I mean, there's nothing really horrific until the end. And yet you are so on edge
0: Yeah, through
1: the whole movie, because he's created this world that's just so uncomfortable. And it's about I mean, part of what I tap into in it, too, is that part of what terrified him is just interaction with people. And so I'm sort of an antisocial misanthrope, and like interacting with people on a daily basis is sort of terrifying.
0: Yeah.
1: Um. You know, and there's nothing scarier than like your boss saying like, "How was your weekend?" And it's like, "Oh shit, I have to talk to them." And yeah, they don't actually want to know what my weekend was like. They're just doing that as chit chat. Yeah. Um. So I tapped into which was my dog. Um. So I tapped into that. I mean, personally, for me, like. It's rare for a film to scare me these days because I've just seen so many movies. But I will say that the thing I find most terrifying is anything that relates to a loss of identity. So one of the reasons why I kind of like zombie films is, you know, zombies kind of to me represent Alzheimer's or dementia, which is the most terrifying thing I can think of in the real world. Yeah, And, you know, zombies, are you, but they're not you. Like it, that zombie can look like my dad, but it's no longer him. And he may only see me as food.
0: Mm-hmm. And like,
1: that's really scary.
0: Yeah.
1: Um. And, or it's scary to be stuck inside a zombie body. And, you know, feel like you want to kill your friend or your relative, because the only way your brain functions is, you know, to want to consume something. And, you know, that extends to like, there's films like Polanski's the tenant where somebody goes into an apartment and slowly their personality is taken over by the person who died there. Um, there's a really good Denzel Washington film fallen where oh, yeah. there's like a demon that jumps from bodies and makes people do like horrific things and then leaves. So again, it's like you have no control and you've done something horrible. You've killed your family. Yeah. And you don't remember doing it or why. And so those kind of films um, are the ones that tend to like really unnerve me. Mm-hmm. You know, the gore fests or jump scares and things like that don't tend to, you know, I might jump in the theater or something, but they're yeah. not films that really. But those kind of movies, like they can have like a lasting kind of creepy imprint. Yeah,
0: no, I agree. I like m- same here, like, I think for me, I, I never even thought about that, of like, loss of identity, but for me, lately, it's been, like, movies that relate to, like, real life that can happen to you, so, like, hereditary, I know some people have, like, their own opinions yeah. on that movie, but for me, the unsettling part was, like, the fact that you never really finish knowing a person, even someone that's related to you, so that kind of stuck with me, like, I think it was, like, unsettling, and then, mm-hmm. I don't know if you've seen, it's, like, a foreign film, I think it's, uh, I forgot, I think it's Norwegian, The Innocents? Um no, I have not um, seen that yet. Okay, it's really good. It's about these kids that have like kinda like superpowers, but I never thought about it like these kids that have trauma and deal with like all these things as kids and having that power, like what what can happen? You know, it can go wrong and then as a kid you're super emotional. So I thought it was like a really good film too. Like same thing, like something that can happen. Like what if your kid got these superpowers and they got mad at you, you know? So <laughs> it's like well, what was gonna happen there, you know? So stuff like that is pretty interesting to me now. Um and for you, what's like your, like your greatest fear and do you think you will ever overcome it or have you overcome it?
1: I think my greatest fear is like that I'm going to get Alzheimer's. <laughs> it's just like, you know, you forget a word or something and you go like, oh shit, I'm all, oh, it's pre-Alzheimer's. Um, you know, and I'm, you know, I'm a senior citizen now. So oh it's real thing, you know, you start thinking about these things. So I, you know, that, that I find genuinely scary. Uh, And that's a real world thing. And it's something you really have no control over. And so I mean, you know, there's other things that are scary, like, yeah, you know, I, I don't really like climbing up to heights, or, you know, hanging off of buildings or anything like that. But you know, those are things that you can choose to avoid, for the most part. But health issues, you know, too, like, you know, things that deal with infection, and, Mm Like the film Contagion and you know stuff like that. Like those are kind of real world fears that uh I'm not sure you ever really get over. You can kind of like yeah. mitigate them yeah. <laughs> you know, and try to deal with them, but you know, I think they always kind of lurk.
0: Yeah. I mean, like, the irony of, like, you know, having Alzheimer's is you don't even know you have it, right? So I guess, like, that's, like, the irony of it. (laughs) Um, Well, I joke with
1: my son because there's this really good uh, Hong Kong film called Vengeance where this guy hires these hitmen to avenge the death of his family. Uh, But he has either dementia or Alzheimer's. You're not sure. And he starts to forget why he hired them. And then it brings up this moral dilemma for the hitmen: Like, do we have to, we've taken his money, but do we actually have to execute this really difficult hit against this person who's dangerous yeah. if the guy doesn't even remember? And so, you know, they, ha- they feel honor bound to do it. But at yeah. one point he completely has gone off the deep end. He doesn't know who he is or anything. yeah. And they leave him at a cafe, like on the French Riviera or something with this nice woman. And my son always goes like, well, if you get Alzheimer's mom, you won't remember me. So I can just leave you like
0: <laughs> oh like in some French cafe. And, like, <laughs> oh and I was like, all right, yeah, if I
1: can't remember you, then sure, fine.
0: <laughs> just That's actually a pretty good off. premise. <laughs> I'll have to check that out.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's really good. It's a Johnny Toe film. I love his work
0: okay and it kind of leads to my next question like what's your like favorite scary movie or your, or your top five because I know for me it always changes but right now what would you say are your top five? Oh,
1: yeah that's always hard I mean I will say that like for horror comedy one of my all-time favorites is Shaun of the dead
0: okay
1: um I mean i i would probably i could probably give you five just out of the zombie genre so yeah Shaun of the Dead is probably my favorite horror comedy. Ponty Pool is this wonderful perversion oh, yeah. of the zombie film with its kind of zombies without zombies. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you know any of the Romero ones. I mean, I love Night of the Living Dead for being the first um, of the modern kind of zombie. But Bub is probably my all-time yeah. favorite <laughs> um, self-aware zombie. Yeah, uh, he's great. And um, so. Yeah. Yeah, it's hard to pick. I mean, I also love the original Frankenstein, because it was such a beautiful film. And it was so much this film about kind of being an outsider and being the other. Yeah. And so, and I love the original Nosferatu, also. Mm-hmm. And again, it's just visually like, it's so creepy. And that performance is just so weird. Um Like there's so many different kinds of horror films that it's, it's really hard to kind of pick one or even five. I
0: know. (laughs) Cause yeah, there's so many subgenres now. Um, If you could create like your own horror, like survival rule, what would it be?
1: Oh, a survival rule. Um, Hmm. That's tough. I mean, I, I do appreciate like Zombie Land, double tap. That's yeah. always a good one. You yeah. know, whenever you go to a horror film and they like shoot somebody or knock someone down, it's always like, God, you know, make sure that they're really dead. Don't yeah, exactly. just assume. Um, uh, if it was more humorous, I would say always make sure you bring chocolate wherever you go. Yeah. I think that's kind of yeah. like, horrible things can happen. But man, if you have a good supply of chocolate, it can mitigate a lot of things that's true. um yeah surround yourself with good friends who can you who you <laughs> yeah. know will be like, <laughs> like don't bring any weak ones along you have a good team yeah. <laughs> in, in case the worst hits that's
0: true <laughs> <laughs> um and how do you feel about the horror genre like right now in this era like what do you think about it uh
1: i mean i think we're getting some amazing stuff like i said uh Speak No Evil just came out this year. I think it's fabulous. Uh, It may not be everybody's cup of tea. It's, you know, kind of a slow burn film. Mm -hmm. I do. I mean, what I used to appreciate about the horror genre is that a lot of times you got social commentary as kind of this subversive subtext to it. Um, And now it feels like that kind of social awareness has been pushed to the forefront of the film and makes it far less interesting to me. You know, if you put the message out in front, then there's not any artistry to it. It's, mm-hmm. you know, like there was the old joke that Sam Goldwyn used to say, if you want to send a message, use Western Union and it's like, <laughs> yeah, you know, if you want to tell people. Um so I'm a little sad that like they're hitting the nail too much on the head yeah. <clears throat> sometimes in the horror films. Like don't give me a film about some sort of social message as the foreground you know i mean one of the things that made night of the living dead so great is it was a zombie film yeah we got other messages out of it but people didn't initially go to see it and go like oh wow it's a really interesting statement about racism and class and yeah you know people went and go like oh my god did you see that horror movie it was insane
0: yeah
1: um so I'm I'm kind of sad that it that some of that like they they I feel like they're trying to elevate horror to this level of art mm-hmm. which I think it had already but to make it this kind of overt discussion and I hate like films that are called elevated horror like yeah I, like what does that mean I'm sorry it's like either it's good or it's bad yeah um I I don't like buy into that elevated horror kind of idea yeah. but um Yeah, I mean, and the other thing is the kind of I'm probably in the minority, but I'm somebody who never really liked Scream. And one of the reasons I never liked Scream is I felt like it was too much of this wink, wink, nudge, nudge. We're so like we're so clever that we can make fun of all these horror tropes and genres. And I I felt it was really mocking the horror genre in a way that kind of ruined it for a while because there were so many films that were kind of afraid to really scare you. So they would do something kind of scary and then make it like a joke because it's like, oh, well, in case we didn't scare you, we didn't really mean to scare you. We were just playing off of this trope about what happens when, you know, you do this. And so I felt like we had a whole kind of generation of films that were almost afraid to be scary. So they tried to just laugh it off and, I think we've sort of emerged from that. But um, yeah, I would say that those are the two things that I find annoying. I, You know, the fact that it's easier to make films means we have a lot more films out there, which means there's the chance for talented people to come from anywhere, which is really exciting. Yeah. But it also means that You have to wade through a lot of crap. Yeah, (laughs) there's also a lot of crap out there, and I know horror fans sometimes don't want to admit that because we feel like we have to be be very protective of our tribe.
0: but there's a lot of crap
1: out there too. Yeah,
0: that's true. (laughs) Um, And do you feel like San Diego has like a thriving horror community, and if so, why or or why not?
1: I would say we have like a thriving community in the sense that it's large yeah. and easily accessible, mm-hmm. I think we have a lot of people who are very dedicated to the horror genre yeah. who exist in sort of pockets. Yeah. Um. And, and I love that. But, you know, when you try, like for me, trying to get 75 people into a movie theater so that we can break even yeah. <laughs> for a horror marathon, I'm going like, that's... I think... Miguel calculated that's like 0. 0.004% of the population and I'm going like we should be able to reach that. Like we should be able to get 75 people who want to come to this. Yeah. So um you know I don't know if I'm just not tapping into the right crowd but you know I know that the people who come love it and I I know we have like a really dedicated group of artists who bring art to the event which is fabulous. Um I know that horrorgasm you know does art shows there are other art shows too um that focus on horror yeah. and you know we've had screenings like a digital gym that have done really well that are horror films so i know those people are out there i'm just not exactly sure how easily it is to kind of gather them uh, yeah and and keep them kind of together and informed and stuff like that you know I think it's much easier in La uh there's a lot of stuff that goes on yeah. you know a lot of really fun groups there's like uh urban death this zombie Joe's kind of like underground theater and there's you know a lot of uh immersive horror events and yeah. things like delusion and you know they're easy to find and yeah. they seem to do well so i think they you know they're getting you know the the new bev horror marathon sells out in five minutes so there's at least 200 people there that are willing to do it so i just don't know if it's very well organized down here but i do think there's definitely you know a core group of people who really love and support the genre
0: yeah how do you think we can help in that aspect like trying to get more people you know or like more organized, kind of like LA, like you said, because there's, like, I think, like, also, like, vendors and, like, like Witch's Brew, I think, that they have in Orange County and stuff like that. Like, how would you think that would work for us, like, here in San Diego? I don't know. I mean,
1: I have tried different ways. I mean, I'm not a whiz at social media, so, like, I've tried, you know, forming Facebook groups or, you know, doing TikTok or Instagram videos and seeing, like, if that can get people. Yeah. and you know, the pandemic kind of threw a monkey wrench into things too. I felt like we were kind of building an audience, mm-hmm. and then that hit, and then people kind of scattered, and, and you know, a number of people left town because of work and other issues. Yeah, so yeah, I'm not exactly sure, yeah, how to tackle that. Um, yeah. if you have a magic answer, yeah. uh, let me know.
0: <laughs> and I'm trying to brainstorm here, <laughs> um, and you you said you build like a, a haunted house at uh, your house um, every year. How did how did that start? How did that tradition begin? And you know how,
1: how did that, um, that started ages ago, like before my son was born. Um, mm-hmm. My ex husband used to like to build like big tunnels into our house at Halloween. So everything was made from basically you needed three elements. You needed duct tape, plastic tarp, and two by fours. And with that, we mm-hmm. built. Like many things. And I mean, I always liked the idea of like scaring kids. I thought that was fun because again, it's like really you sort of know it's safe, but you also, you know, it's kind of like Scooby-Doo when you're little. It's like you watch Scooby-Doo, you know the guy's going to be unmasked at the end. You know that there's going to be a screen, you know, whatever. But you watch it because there's kind of like a familiar routine to it and yet you get scared a little. So there's nothing more fun than, you know, hearing a kid run screaming from your house and dropping their candy bag on Halloween. So that was kind of the impetus for starting this. And, you know, it started with fairly simple things and, and then it kind of grew and grew and grew and, um, I am either blessed or cursed with very talented friends. So, you know, I have friends who are writers, who are makeup artists, who are sound designers, who are DJs, who, you know, artists, whatever. And so, you know, each year we kind of go like, oh, well, like maybe if we did a Lovecraft haunt with Cthulhu, you know, we could get some tentacles made and then we could like make some they buy these costumes and then build this and use the pool. And, and you could do the sound design and make the earth crack open and a creature crawl out. Um, You know, and then it was like, Oh, maybe we'll do this prison haunt where we'll electrocute someone and a demon will jump from its body into the bodies of the guards. And we can do that with black light makeup because you can paint veins and stuff and you know we can so it was like and then so every year it's kind of like upped and uh this year we're gonna try and do a hellraiser haunt
0: oh nice
1: i feel very challenged because it's a combination of we're starting late it's a big deal um but we'll see how it goes it's gonna be fun
0: And is it open to the public or how does that work? Yeah,
1: I mean, it's just my home. Uh, Uh Usually we get like a few hundred people who come by Uh um, from the neighborhood. I mean, I've been doing it here for like about 30 years, I think. Um, And, you know, my son for years never realized you go out for Halloween. He thought (laughs) Halloween was about staying home and scaring people um and my brother and his wife had to like your son's never been out trick-or-treating like we're gonna take him and go out and he was like what I didn't know you did this um so yeah we've just kind of escalated it each year and so we do it only for Halloween night Uh and it's just from like about probably like six to nine Uh and we probably spend thousands of dollars ridiculously (laughs) um we make like costumes and props and oh, wow. masks and things like that. And it's just, you know, I mean, I, I dread ever, you know, anybody ever like really finding out where it is and posting it somewhere, but you know, if it's just like neighborhood, cause we've got full size snicker bars too. So like I kind oh, of wow. have a limit of about, I uh, usually about like 400 or so, Yeah. <laughs> but you know, if we start going beyond that, it's going to start getting a little difficult.
0: Yeah. What area is it, if you don't mind sharing? Or Lemon like-
1: Grove. Okay. <laughs> you can drive, can drive around and look around. for it. <laughs> <laughs> um,
0: and what's, like, who's What are your favorite, like, horror directors? I know you said you love all the sub and stuff like that, but who would be your, like, top uh, that to you stand out to? I name.
1: would say uh, I love George Romero, and I love David Cronenberg. I, I would yes. say those are two of my – I mean, Cronenberg is just, like – He's so twisted and wonderful.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he I love I, I got to interview him once and he gave me one of my favorite quotes, which is, you know, we were talking about making films in Hollywood, and he said, you know, Hollywood is inter- is interested in comfortable cinema. And he says, I'm not interested in comfortable cinema, and I just I appreciate that. Like yeah. that's why I love him. Like, I don't go into his films feeling like I'm going to come out feeling warm and fuzzy.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, but I'm going to come out like with this possible really crazy catharsis of going somewhere really dark and disturbing and coming out the other end.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I love him too. Like, uh, did, did you watch his latest one? The Crimes of oh, Future? Oh,
1: Crimes of Future.
0: Oh, my God. That, that was like, fabulous. Yeah, yeah. Great film. Obviously, people, some people are like, bad. I think a lot of his films are like, underrated just because of the people like they like you said it it leaves like unsettling just like a weird you know it's like body horror so not for everyone but I
1: enjoyed
0: that I enjoyed that film um and for you what do you prefer do you prefer like remakes originals like what's your take on that
1: I just want to see a film that feels innovative in some way so you know I always point to John Carpenter's The Thing as a great remake. And what makes it great is that he had a reason to remake it. You know, that film was made in the 40s. It was colored by the politics of that particular time. And in the 80s, Carpenter goes like, you know, we have Reagan. We're paranoid. We don't trust anyone that's going to give a different flavor to that particular horror. And so I feel like if you're going to remake something, you just better have a good reason for doing it. And so long as you do, then that'll be fine. And so I just want to go see a film that surprises me in some way. And it can either be, it takes the familiar and delivers it with like such style that you're odd or it takes the familiar and twists it to the point that you can't even recognize it and yeah you know you're surprised so I just want to go in and not feel bored I want to go in and go like oh my god I've never seen that before or I've never seen something that looks like that before or that sounds like that before um yeah I just want I want to be surprised
0: nice um, any horror movie recommendations that you feel like are slept on or like a hidden gem that you want to recommend? Um,
1: well, Speak No Evil is streaming on Shutter right now. So it's an easy one to find and it's amazing. Um, I, I mentioned Pontypool. I don't know if everybody knows that. It's a Canadian horror Sort of zombie film. And like I always try to get people to watch something like that. Uh Crimes of the Future, which just recently came out, is another one that I would say, please make sure you see. And another film that we screened at Digital Gym was Mad God, which is Phil Tippett's stop motion animation film. That is just spectacular. Like it is crazy good. Um, and you just can't believe that every grain of sand that's in that movie was placed there by a human hand. Like everything was, (laughs) you know, (laughs) yeah. And we, I, I saw it, um, I think it was through fantastic fest online. And so I saw it on a TV and I just felt like I wanted to see it on a big screen. And I asked digital Jim if they would play it and they did. And seeing it on a big screen there was seeing almost like seeing a different movie. Like the detail that you picked up and the sound design was just incredible. So I would highly recommend trying to seek that out as, you know, something recent.
0: Okay, cool. Um, And then before we get out of here, uh, what advice would you give to someone who's trying to get into like either the entertainment or just like uh, in film in general? What would be like some advice you would give?
1: Well, I was at Comic-Con one year when Sam Raimi was there, and, you know, filmmakers at Comic-Con always get, everybody comes up like, hey, Mr. Director Person, I want to be just like you. What do I need to do? Yeah. And so he got that question. Somebody says, like, I want to be a filmmaker like you. How do I do it? And he gave the best advice ever. And he said, here's what you do. He says, every week you write a script and then you go out and you shoot it and you edit it. And on the weekend, you show it to your friends. And you get their feedback and you take that to heart. And on Monday, you write another film. And then if you keep doing that, you don't have to say, what do I have to do to become a filmmaker? You are going to be a filmmaker. And so basically, you know, it's about just doing it. Like, just don't try to make the perfect film. Like, just go out there and make something and see what happens and see, like, do you like it? Do you not like it? How hard was it to do? What do you, you know, show it to someone and and see if uh, they have some feedback for you. What you did right, what you did wrong, and um, so I would say like just don't be afraid to try it. Do it and then show it to people. Get some advice and and some feedback. And you know you'll get feedback, and people will tell you some things that you disagree with. Like, but listen to it. You know, value it and weight it. Um, And I would highly recommend watching, if you could find it, there's a series called The Incredibly Strange Film Show, and it was Jonathan Ross who focused on all these kind of, like, peripheral filmmakers. Now, some of them are sort of well-known, like John Waters and John Woo, but some of them are people who were much more outside of the mainstream. Uh, Doris Wishman did Nudie Cuties, and uh, Herschel Gordon Lewis did kind of gore films, and uh, Ed Wood. But every 30-minute episode that you watched, Mm -hmm. you wanted to go out and make a movie afterwards. Because those people were just so passionate about making a film, no matter how bad it was, no matter how little money they had, no matter what they had to do, that you just get inspired. And at least for me, like, I would show that in film school and just say, like, watch an episode every week and see what it inspires you to do. Because after every show, I just wanted to go out and grab a camera and just do something like anything. Um, And nowadays, you know, you can make a film on your cell phone, for God's sake. So there's no reason not to make a film if you want to, Um, you know, whether or not you can turn it into a career you know, that's a little more of a challenge. But if you start by just making stuff like that, that's the baby step you have to take to get going.
0: Yeah. Uh,
1: and if you don't have money, just do it on your cell phone. If you can afford to go to film school or, you know, you can afford to do something higher end, then give that a try. But just make something.
0: Yeah, that's great advice. Yeah. And I'm definitely like doing that because I'm, I'm trying to move into filmmaking and I've been trying mm-hmm. to just play around with, like you said, like my cell phone, trying to get to know the, like that camera and then moving on to something, you know, more higher end. Uh, but yeah, thank you so much, Beth, for, you know, sitting down with me and, and getting to know you a little bit and sharing, you know, your journey. Uh, is there anything you anybody you want to like shout out or anything you want to like uh, share before we get out of here?
1: Uh, I would just like to remind people, Digital Gym just reopened in May. They're at Market and Park now. They're not on El Cone Boulevard. They are a fabulous venue. They are showing stuff that nobody else is showing. They're you know, experimenting with new things. They have something they call um, a DGC video, which is a Tuesday cult film night uh, in October. Uh, every Saturday is dedicated to like a classic horror film. So they're really trying to fill the gap of not having the Ken cinema anymore. Yeah. So there's nobody else doing kind of repertory, bringing in filmmakers to talk about their films, kind of programming stuff that people are requesting. So I highly urge you to check out Digital Gym and look for, we'll probably have flyers and stuff there uh, towards the end of the year, promoting what we're gonna do next year. But that's our home base. And we also work out of, uh, Comic-Con museum and also cinema under the stars. And so, you know, those are venues that allow for, you know, showing something a little out of the mainstream.
0: All right, for sure. And then, you know, follow you on, uh, Instagram right here, Cinebeth. Um, and thank you again then for being on. Thank you. It's always fun to talk horror. (laughs) You're welcome. Uh, thank you for tuning in to another episode of Nightmare on Sedgwick Avenue Uh, this was episode seven if you enjoyed it go ahead and subscribe uh, to the youtube channel or also follow us on uh, streaming thank you